As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, Ontario. Not quite the University of Guelph, but you may be listening to it from the University of Guelph servers or whatever. Almost certainly somehow being responsible for the production of this show uh, in no small part. Facilitating the listening, Android's Dungeon, a show about games, movies, music, whatever I feel like talking about. I am Jack, your host. It's a solo show, part of the pandemic special going on at the moment. Uh, pandemic, you know, it's happening. It's not happening. It's uh, it's all around us, and it isn't. It's kind of like some sort of ghost, uh, the specter that's haunting Europe in more ways than one, and the rest of the world, too. Uh, plus side, people seem to be more appreciative of being outside. Downside, uh, you know, killing a lot of people. So, you know, got to take the good with the bad in this case. Uh, the good with the, this particular situation, I think, is that more people are becoming more appreciative of board games than ever before. But I think also just video games and sort of like, uh, I don't want to say personal entertainment because it's all kind of personal. But I think what I'm trying to get at is entertainment that you can kind of um, be responsible for generating yourself. If that makes any sense. So it's like if you got a board game sitting here, and let's say you're you're quarantined with your uh, your your wife or your girlfriend or whoever, and uh, it's it's very easy just to plop that game down if you're both in the mood and just kind of figure it out. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that a fair bit with uh, uh, my lovely girlfriend. And something that and we're just gonna get right into it. something we've been playing a fair bit of is Food Chain Magnate. And I believe I talked about this um, either two episodes ago or one episode ago or or whatever. And um, we mostly played on BoardGameCore.net. I think that's the web address. And uh, in case you are not a as dedicated a listener as you uh, should be, and in that case, you got to get your sh- your shoot together uh, and really just you know buckle down. But BoardGameCore is one of these websites that uh, lets you play Splatter Games and Virsen Volk, which I'm not sure who publishes that one, but that's kind of an oddity. And uh, But basically just for a game like Food Chain, and I'm not going to go into it too much, but it's not that complicated, but there's a lot of administration. And what Board Game Core does so well is it streamlines the administration perfectly, and it does all the math for you. And it basically can take a game that, let's say, if you're playing with two players, um, if you know what you're doing and you're quick, you could probably do it in an hour, an hour and a half. Um, with three or four players, five players, God forbid, if you're doing this in person, you're looking at like a four-hour game. Just because it's not necessarily because the decisions are so tight, which they are, but because there's so much fiddly moving of chits, not chits, uh, moving of um, resources around the board to accommodate the prices. So Board Game Board does all this. It's all automated. And even though you may look at it and go, I'm confused. Why is this not working? I can't get this to go, especially with the billboards. For some reason, I feel like I'm, I can't wrap my head around. Sometimes it won't let you put a billboard in the right place. But in general, it we can crank out a game of Food Chain Magnate in, depending on what we said is the reserves, like half an hour, 45 minutes, which is nothing. 
and uh, I highly, highly recommend this service. And uh, if they, I think I'm going to throw some cash at them just because it's, uh, I really do appreciate what they're doing. And I think if there are more sites that did what they did, uh, I think more people would be getting into some of these games than ever before. Anyway, so kind of tipping my hand here a little bit. So what have I been playing recently? Food Chain Magnet. Outstanding, tremendous. Every time I play, I learn a little bit more. Um, I think it's, the more I play it, I think the... Um, the subtleties start to reveal themselves, but at the same time, it sometimes it'll, it seems to just boil down to who can either reduce prices the fastest or who can uh, pull a quick move and simultaneously generate marketing or demand for something that the, your opponent can't at that point. And I think at two-player, it's a very, as it makes, as you can understand, it's a very sort of zero-sum game in that. Uh, you're either winning or you aren't. With three, four, five, you can be down a bit, but you can pivot quickly and try to like take advantage of other things. And if you see somebody doing better than you, you can try to swoop in and steal some of their business and really start undercutting them in different ways. But with two players, it's it, it sometimes you can feel like you've lost within a turn or two, which sounds harsh. But because the game's so quick when you're playing a board game core, you don't mind it. It's not a huge deal. So. Um, I, I think I'm going to go into a little bit of strategy. Why not? Because uh, I'm just going to want to say a few more words about it because I love the game so much. But um, for those who don't know, Food Chain Magnet's all about building this, uh, basically a fast food empire in some sort of uh, 1950s Americana-esque world as designed by uh, <laughs> two Dutchmen in <laughs> the, uh, I don't know, when did the game come out? 2016, 2017? And uh, it's a mix between area control, economic game, and I'm going to say a deck builder. Um, a deck builder you have total control over. Um, and what you're trying to do is you're hiring employees that all fulfill a very specific role, as in letting you make food, letting you get drinks, letting you um, change the prices of your food, whether it be more expensive or less expensive. Uh, you get upper or middle management, or actually there's no middle management, there's just management. And they can be trained into... Uh, other things that are typically more powerful versions of other stuff and you've got salaries to worry about and you have to basically be the person who uh, makes the most money when the time the bank breaks and what's cool about the game too is that there's this random element to um, at the beginning everyone takes these cards out and you choose the reserve amount of the bank so imagine if uh, so the bank's always gonna have a hundred dollars at the start and when that bank breaks all these reserve cards are flipped over and that much money is re-added to the bank. So if you want to do certain things that uh, reward maybe long-term strategies, you put in a higher amount of money. If you're going for the quick buck, you put in something with like $100. So that's what it is, 100 200 300 Anyway, for those who don't know the game, it's been widely agreed upon that there are two openings in the game. And by openings, I mean everyone's first turn, you get to hire one person. And there are two people that appear to be viable in, uh, I don't want to say tournament play, but just uh, high-level play in general. And it's either getting a recruiting girl or getting a trainer. And the reason these are important is because the real tricky part of the game is that there are these things called milestones. And they're basically achievements, uh, like if you're playing a video game or something, uh, except they provide a bonus for you for the rest of the game. And... Uh, if other people accomplish them on the same turn as you, they can share these achievements. But generally speaking, uh, if 
and it's not even generally speaking, if you're the only one who gets it, nobody else can get that achievement that for the rest of the game. So if you go with a recruiting girl right away, that lets you get closer to the first person to hire three people in a turn. So your CEO, which is basically your, your character, uh, if you get one hire from him, one hire from a recruiting girl, and you use one of those hires to get another recruiting girl, and then I would recommend getting a trainer with your uh, second one from there. The next turn, you can hire three people. And what that gives you are, I believe, two management trainees. Um, I might be mis- mixing that up. But that basically just gives you a huge boost because management trainees are essential to get higher up in the... Uh, uh, when you, They are the guys that get trained and do better, bigger and better things. They also expand your uh, hiring capability because they provide more slots for you to be able to put more cards out every turn. And that lends itself, in my experience, towards a quicker play because you're able to get more people out there doing more things and you can start marketing faster. And typically you want to go from, I'd say, the recruiting to marketing, but although I'd say training, the same thing. But uh, anyway, so that's the recruiting girl start. The next one you want to do or can do is the trainer start. And the trainer starts slower but more powerful long term. And that is the first person to train someone gets a $15 discount in salaries. And what's significant about that is the trainer uh, basically lets you ignore the first uh, three, uh, I, I'd say, special employees you can hire or train, I guess, essentially. And that lets you kind of tech up and do a bunch of cool things while you're basically trying to warp to guru or um, who knows whatever else you're kind of aiming for. So those are the two openings that I highly recommend anyone playing the game for the first time try. And even veterans, I'd say. It's pretty rare to see someone do something else. I'd say the only thing you might notice someone doing differently is maybe going for um, uh, maybe a marketer first just to try to snipe um, uh, a permanent bonus for food or drink, which I'd say a mark- turn one marketer with uh, drinks could be very, very powerful. Um, but that's the I would say just stick with the trainer recruiting girl strategy at the beginning. That said, the expansion that just came out, uh, the ketchup, uh, ketchup and uh, other mechanisms, something like that, has totally new milestones. And uh, word on the street is that they're better than the originals, and they make more openings viable, and it kind of expands the game. So I'm really excited to try those ones out. The only issue is Board Game Core doesn't have the new expansion stuff up there, and it'd be nice if they do or did, and we'll see if they ever get up there. Uh, but until then, I think we're going to have to sit down and just manually do it, which I have nothing against. But like I said, Board Game Core just makes it so, so easy to play a bunch of games of uh, Food Chain back-to-back and really learn it. I have to say, I feel a little bad for my girlfriend because um, she, she's she been struggling with trying to pivot out into a big win. And I think there's only been one time recently where I felt like I was... I was toast. Like I had made a couple of mistakes and she was just capitalizing and doing well regardless. And I thought I'm in trouble, but then her engine just stalled out around mid game and I was able to just start undercutting her and selling, selling, selling and uh, ended up winning that one when I really didn't think I was going to. Um, But we've also played food chain with uh, the lads from Toronto and, uh, it's interesting seeing the multiplayer strategy in person because I play it so infrequently with more than two people that uh, it's it's almost it, it's it's almost a totally different game. I'm not even gonna say almost anymore. I'm gonna get rid of that. It is a totally different game because now you're worrying about a bunch of different people, and I think price wars are way more common because there's only so many resources to go around, 
And if you're the cheapest and the closest or the cheapest first, then they're going to go to you. So it's very, very likely that there's going to be some price slashing going on. And that's going to be painful if you haven't uh, gotten any of the bonuses for marketing. So marketing is just critical, absolutely critical in this game. And I think it's even better in the catch-up mechanism. So looking forward to trying that out. Um, so that's Food Chain Magnet. We also played a game of my other... So it's, these, these games are just classics to us. But we got in a game on the weekend of Feast for Odin with the Norwegian expansion. Which I'm not even going to say Norwegian expansion anymore. Aside from saying you need it if you're a fan of the game. If you're not a fan of the game... Or haven't played it yet. I don't know if it's essential, but I think if you're going to pick it up, just get the Norwegian expansion. Excuse me, at the same time because it's so good. It is fantastic. So, anyway, we got to play uh, a game of that, and I had a very weird game in that I was very happy with how I was playing, and I had no negatives on any of my boards, which, if you know the game, uh, is sort of difficult to do because there's lots of these negatives on your home board all around the side and so scary and if you get islands there's lots of negatives on those too and if you get sheds lots of negatives on those um so at the end of the game and if you go to the guelph board game group uh sign up highly recommend it you don't have to be from guelph it's just what we call it <laughs> we we welcome everyone and anyone into this group believe me uh, but if you go there you can see a picture of uh, how my my boards looked and everything's filled up it's crazy and part of that is because I was getting tons of money every turn. And I think having a good, steady income in that game is just so critical because, uh, in general, Feast for Odin is an engine builder masquerading as a tile laying game. And what you're trying to do is you are, uh, you have this main center board with all these actions and you're putting Vikings down. And the more Vikings you put on action, the better the action is. And you're trying to get the most bang for your buck. And if you go online to the Board Game Geek forums for Feast for Odin, there are some fantastic posts from people writing about, uh, and I, I've printed off. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit. I printed off a guy's um, thread, or at least his uh, original post, uh, but ranking every action on the board. And uh, I think he goes into two players, uh, or whether he says, uh, yeah, he splits it up. Anyway, and his whole thing is you try to look at each action as being worth X victory points per Viking because you want to be trying to get uh, tiles that cover up these negatives and those are uh, VPs so animals are raw VPs and covering up negatives are just like getting rid of things against you and so he's gone through and he's given star ratings to all these actions and it's extremely interesting to see his impressions of what's good and what isn't and uh, generally speaking uh, he what he's done is really helped me appreciate using the four Viking action spaces, which, again, if you haven't played this game, it's going to be a little difficult to understand. But like I was pointing out, you can put more Vikings down on your turn to take these actions because the action board is basically split up into um, rows and columns. And in the Norwegian's board, there's even a fifth column, and you're allowed to put one Viking down or two Vikings, and you can play an occupation. But anyway, back to what this guy did. And his whole thing is that he was really pushing for the four Viking action spaces. And he swears by them as being very, very powerful. And they have to be, because if you're putting four guys down, you're losing a tremendous amount of uh, 
uh, action potential later on. But between the action being powerful, you also allowed, are allowed to play an occupation. So if you combine lots of three Viking actions, which lets you draw an occupation with four Viking actions to play them down, not only are you getting these bonuses from these uh, occupations and also a couple of VPs, but you're also getting these fantastic uh, actions themselves. So I'm not going to go too far into it because unless you played the game, it's just going to seem like I'm talking crazy. But Feast Road remains a tremendous experience that I enjoy every time and super cozy. So we're actually going up to the cottage this coming weekend. I'm really looking forward to getting Feast out on the table because to me it's like the premier cottage cozy game. Get a fire going in the... Uh, in the uh, in the, fi the the metal fireplace, nice and crispy. Have some sleepy kittens, hot cup of tea, listen to uh, waves crashing against the shores of Lake Huron. It's it doesn't get better than that, folks. I'm telling you. Hashtag blessed. So, Feast for Odin and Food Chain Magnet are the board games I've been playing in person, and uh, I think I'm going to take a musical break here, and we'll be back in a second. Stay tuned.
the whole world right up. Clock. The clock in the wall. back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just listened to was two tracks from Tales of a Wallbound Clock by the artist Spectral Mance. 
not sure if I mispronounced that. M A N S E. Excuse me. Mans? Mans? I'm going to say Mans. Uh, because we're sliding into Spooktober, baby. Slipping in. And fall is the best. And the two tracks you just heard were New Zebedee and The Tale of Isaac Izzard. And careful listeners, or at least the more, um, I don't know, the, the, <laughs> the more juvenile horror-oriented uh, types like myself, may be going, oh, God, that sounds so familiar. What am I? Ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. What is that? What is that? The album is inspired by the John Belair's uh, novel, uh, The House with a Clock in Its Walls, which I cannot for the life of me remember the plot of. Uh, if you put a gun to my head, I'm toast. I think all I can remember is something to do with a necromancer and uh, or a warlock and uh, may or may not be ghost or dead and uh, and good wizards trying to fight him. Either way, I loved this book as a kid and uh, I'm this close to trying to pick it up again because I think it's uh, I, I really <laughs> need a dose of the nostalgia from it. But House with its clock in its walls uh, was probably one of my first steps into horror. So and it wasn't even that scary, I don't think. But uh, for a kid, it was something else. So anyway. Speaking of scary, I played a game uh, two nights ago with Joel and a bunch of other people, and it's kind of a flavor of a month experience, or flavor of the week even. We'll see if how, <laughs> how long it lasts, but you may have heard of a little game called Among Us, and it's been out for a little bit on the phone or mobile, and it's just kind of exploded because it made its way to Steam. And the mobile version is free. I think there are ads, though. Um, and you can pay for the, the ad-free version, but I think a lot of people just suffer through it. The Steam version, I paid about five sixty Canadian for, which seems fine for what it is. And uh, the whole premise is everyone, it's a, everyone takes on the role of basically a 2D uh, astronaut that's a very cartoony, kind of looks like a Teletubby, essentially. <laughs> and I've seen some jokes about that. And you are all on a space station. And you have a bunch of tasks you have to do. And the tasks are very simple, but they involve you running around the different section of the spaceship and having to do uh, a little puzzle of sorts. Some of the puzzles are very mundane, like basically pulling down a lever for a couple seconds till leaves disappear uh, to things that are more complicated, such as um, solving a puzzle involving wires, which it, puzzle in quotation marks, it's just matching colors or uh, playing a little game of like, asteroids by clicking on things so super super mundane stuff uh, now the problem is that you are not alone one of your crew members is actually a traitor or imposter and what this imposter does is while everyone is doing their tasks and trying to you know finish the game because if the tasks are all complete the crew wins the imposter is trying to basically murder everyone before that happens or uh, do something that results in such a brutal sabotage that nobody is around to fix it and the ship blows up and you win. So at the start of every round, it's randomly assigned who the imposter is and you all take off, go off and do your own thing and the imposter is running around trying to find people by themselves and not draw suspicion or get seen doing stuff and then when the they murder somebody, the body stays there. And if somebody comes across that body, including the imposter, they have the option to call a meeting. 
And when they call a meeting, everyone sits down for a second and talks about where they were and why they are not the imposter. And this results in people <laughs> throwing out wild accusations, saying, I saw so-and-so uh, leaving that area. And you say, no, I was leaving because I finished my task and nobody else was in there. Maybe you're the imposter because you're saying a bunch of nonsense and you probably killed that person. And this goes on for a little bit and there's a timer. And after everyone's finished throwing around wild accusations and uh, bandying about unsubstantiated theories of guilt, everyone can vote. And you can either vote for another player or you can decide to pass that round. And initially, most people will pass. But unless there's a very firm accusation, what can happen is you'll see people uh, kind of tossing votes at other people. And if, if they have the majority of votes, they get thrown at the airlock. If you throw out the imposter, you guys win. The crew wins. If the imposter is not thrown out of the airlock... Uh, <laughs> well, you just killed one of your crew members and the imposter is still running around. And there's even modes because you can customize the game a fair bit. And there's a mode where it won't even tell you if you actually throw out the imposter or not. Uh, because in the other modes, it'll say you got the imposter and you just win. Otherwise, you're going to have to go about doing your, <laughs> your tasks and hoping that nobody's getting murdered while that's going on. So there's timers on murders too. So you can't just have the imposter running around just like mashing kill and killing everyone. And you can set the timer on that to be 30 seconds, 45 seconds, so on. I found 45 seconds way too difficult because the rounds only last, I'd say, at most 10 minutes. So if you're trying to find perfect time to kill somebody and it takes you 45 seconds before you can kill again and that timer gets reset when somebody calls an emergency meeting... Uh, it can be very, very tricky. So it is fun being the imposter and it's legitimately thrilling. And it's also a scary game because you're trying to do your tasks and there are some places that are more closed off than others. And <laughs> when you're in a room by yourself and you can't see outside of it and there's no way for you to get out and you hear somebody coming in, you get scared. And it's pretty common to be running around a circle and just avoiding people and seeing other people kind of waiting and looking at you. And uh, it, it's just... A lot of good fun and it's very simple and among us is exploding right now because a streamers twitch is mostly cancerous and a problem in general but every now and then they they do find something that's kind of entertaining and I think it's cool that these guys who made among us are getting all the attention and all the cash from it as they can because it's such a it's a good example of just a simple idea being you know Hitting, hitting all the notes that they need to get and achieving the success that they're looking for. And even though it's a little delayed, the success is there, and I hope they really kind of take that money that they're getting. Not that they're making tons, but it's one of those things, the price point's so low that people will take a risk on it. So as opposed to somebody's looking at a $90 computer game and saying, oh, geez, all right, I guess. This one's like, if I hate it, $5, who cares? Maybe I'll, it's not like it goes away or goes bad. So anyway, they're talking about how they want to try to do updates or make a sequel or something, but the game was never intended to be that modular, and I guess the code isn't very good, so they're talking about having to do things from the ground up again, which my whole complaint was that, why are you even complaining about this? Because you, you're making a lot of cash. I don't want to hear com complaints about development costs. It, this game is dim simple as hell, and I think... 
it, it almost looks like something that somebody would have made by themselves in, uh, <laughs> I'd say, the 2000s, that there would have been a Flash game like this. So I think there's a lot more Among Us in our future, whether or not it manages to become a staple of online interactions and quick little games, we'll see. I think Joel may have played, he's probably played like a thousand games of this <laughs> bloody, uh, thousand rounds of this bloody game, so he's probably a shark at this point. And uh, you can just play online with random people. Uh, we were playing in a, a group that we were all chatting online, and that was something else because it's a lot easier than just typing things out and things getting lost in translation. So, general opinion? Give Among Us a shot if you're looking for a quick little experience of uh, with your friends. That's what I'd say because I think in a land setting or somewhere, this would be really, really fun. And uh, it's also fun to just play this game because it takes on kind of like Deception, or not Deception, um, Avalon, Resistance. Uh, it is a Mafia clone, res uh, Werewolf. What else? I guess Deception Hong Kong. The board games have been doing this for a while. It's hit video games in such a way that hopefully it becomes kind of a a staple of online games. And I think you'll. I wouldn't be surprised if future games uh, include trader elements into their multiplayer portion because it's it's good streamer bait and people generally have a pretty good good time with it. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a second.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Quake Theme, followed by Parallel Dimensions by Trent Reznor from the Quake soundtrack. I think Quake came out in 98. I might be wrong. Talk about a legendary soundtrack to a game. Uh, the reason I'm playing it is, A, it's Spooktober coming up, and uh, the Quake soundtrack is some fantastic, dark, industrial, ambient music. Um, the theme itself is just so, so good. It hurts. It's so good. Uh, but it also is getting a an official re-release, vinyl re-release on the Nine Inch Nails store. I don't know if it's going to show up anywhere else. It'd be nice if it did. Um, so you can pick up a vinyl copy of the Quake soundtrack, which I'd love to do, except it kind of kills me. It's $35 US plus another $15 to ship it. And that just, it hurts, Jack. $15 US shipping for a piece of vinyl. I'm pretty sure I've had it cheap. I've had stuff shipped from Germany uh, for cheaper, uh, cheaper than that vinyl, I mean. Uh, but the soundtrack, tremendous, tremendous stuff. And I'm not sure, I guess it's the anniversary of, uh, uh, I don't know if it's the anniversary of Quake or not, but there's this great picture of Trent Reznor with the Quake t-shirt. And uh, he's got it. He's with David Lynch who has his arm around him. And people are speculating like, do you think David Lynch knows what Quake is? Because he saw Trent Reznor's shirt and asked him what's going on with this shirt. So a man can dream that maybe David Lynch on some level knows about quake and uh i think quake is almost coming back in time coming back into fashion because the retro shooter has i'm I'm a little worried that it's aside the the mainline retro shooter is sort of stagnating a bit and by that i mean um you have companies like new blood which uh made um dusk which is as close to Quake as we're going to get. Uh, but it was a mix between, I'd say, Quake and, I'd say, maybe something closer like Blood or Duke 3D because it, it focused more on building a world versus more of the uh, insane level stuff. But um, the, the retro shooter it seems to have stagnated a little bit with nostalgia. And I think it's time that something like Quake, which is probably a, th- a mix between the two worlds of crazy level design, but it's also a maze still. Uh, and it avoids the my, my ultra-hated, uh, I don't know, mechanic or a gameplay mechanism or style of the arena shooter. Because I think arena shooters are some of the laziest garbage out there, and I hate them. And it's part of the reason why I despise, well, despise is harsh, why I intensely dislike uh, Doom 2016 and uh, Doom 2020 because I find them to just be elaborate uh, arena shooters with uh, a healthy dose of pointless platforming mixed in. And I, I think I'm saying this because I love uh, OG Doom a ton and grew up with it. And I see New Doom as just being kind of a frustrating... Uh, amalgam of a lot of current day sensibilities that uh, that aren't just that don't just gel and aren't frankly fun to play and it appeals to a very I, i'm going to say it's going to sound bad here but it appeals to a very juvenile audience that doesn't know any better um and people that do know better should be more critical toward it including uh civi 11 who is a youtuber who's pretty good he's very funny he knows his games he loves doom he loves blood duke so on 
but he was going ape, ape shoot for uh, New Doom, especially Doom 2020. And I found it, I just couldn't believe he was that excited about a game that, as far as it's very pretty, ran nicely, and uh, it, it was okay, but had so many problems and is frankly just so slow and ugly compared to uh, OG Doom. And when you look at videos, like watch, you don't even have to play original Doom. You should play Doom, play Doom 2, and then and play, play Quake while we're at it. But the difference is that you're you're looking at these uh doom 2020 for example and it's a lot of the the doom slayer marine is just so slow and clunky it feels like you're playing halo you're so floaty in the air and you're doing dumb dashes and stuff uh it's got this bizarre upgrade system which i love upgrades normally in this game it doom does shouldn't have upgrades it's got uh weird weapons that encourages you to like switch between them all the time for different purposes which you're you're doing in the og doom but this one's got way too many things you're worrying about. You're chucking different types of grenades. You're smashing your dumb flamethrower button on your side like the Predator. You're using your chainsaw to get like health and items from stuff. It's just, to me, it, it's, it's lazy from a game design perspective because you're not building these mazes and these worlds that you're going through to explore and survive. You're basically dumping a bunch of enemies into a room, closing the room off, and forcing a player to just deal with monsters, and then have to deal with the X amount. More monsters show up, deal with more with some of those. More monsters show up, and then you can leave the room. I'm not saying it's easy, because I definitely struggled in parts. And uh, there was a meme around the Marauder, which was just bizarre to me, because the Marauder is... Uh, I'll say two things about the Marauder. He's not difficult, and he's not good either. He is a poorly designed character, as far as I'm concerned, and... Uh, if you if you're bad at the game, he's gonna punish you completely. If you're good at the game, you're gonna cheese him or just break through him, and you're just gonna be dealing with a bullet sponge monster that is obnoxious to encounter. So anyway, if you enjoy Doom, the new Dooms, good for you. I, it's it's not meant to be personal, but I think that if you've calling it Doom is a little frustrating because it's it, it's aside from theme and character, it's it's nothing like the original. And it, if it makes people happy, that's fine. All power to them. I just do not like those games. And I think they're kind of shallow and obnoxious. But very pretty. Congratulations to everyone who worked on them. Just not for me. So with the dying moments of the show, I think uh, I just want to sh- do a shout-out then to uh, say thanks to Michael McNally for uh, coming in and uh, sitting on our show last week. And uh, we'll have part two of that interview hopefully coming up. I don't think next week. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do a show next week. Uh, We'll see. Uh, But we'll get part two of that interview out uh, as soon as we can. And uh, But until then, I think the only thing to talk about is uh, is a little bit of Quake before we go. And uh, like I was saying, played the soundtrack or some of the music from the soundtrack. Uh, I think what makes Quake so interesting is that it's definitively gloomy and spooky, and it's got this more Lovecraftian vibe to it than Doom, which is more black metal and uh, horror with explicit violence everywhere. Uh, Quake was always darker and spookier because it had this bizarre mix of castles and caverns and in industrial areas and the monsters were 
just straight out of uh, some sort of Lovecraft novels. Like one of them is even called an uh, inter- uh, dimensional shambler. And the final boss of the, uh, uh, I guess, Quake 1 is Shubnigurath, the black goat with a thousand young in a very underwhelming boss fight because you just warp into the center and telefragger. But uh, anyway, Quake is one of those games that I think people are coming back, going to come back to in a big way because it's it's the 3D environment behind it is an atmosphere, is something that people are going to, that's what we're going to gravitate to. We've done our Duke 3Ds. Uh, Blood, eh, we'll see about Blood. Nobody's really touched that one yet. But the one I'm really hoping for too, and supposedly uh, I think 3D Realms is publishing it, is a return to a Hexen-style game. And Hexen and Heretic are just two great series that have just been left to rot. And it hurts Jack because they're tremendous, and I think now is the time to get these series back on track. And I think people will be receptive to them. So keep an eye on, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but um, if you're looking for really good uh, sort of first-person shooter stuff, look up uh, Shrine. You can get it on Steam, uh, and Shrine 2 just came out on Steam as well. They're free, totally free. There's no risk. Just download it. If you hate it, send me a death threat and delete it. It's your problem. But uh, yeah, uh, there's tons of, the modding community for Doom is insane. And Duke 3D and uh, the blood modding community, I don't know as much. There's Fantastic Mod. I'm trying to remember what it's called off the top of my head. Um, oh. oh, I'm dying. It. Anyway, it's a full three episodes or four episodes of blood. And it is so good that when it's done, you're sad because it's it should have been blood too. It's that good. And they're pushing the engine to the limit and it looks and plays fantastically. I'm still holding out that someone is going to get a hold of the blood license and do something great with it, but uh, I think it's languishing in rights hell between Atari and uh, other people, so we won't see it. But um, check out the modding community for Doom. There's tons of stuff there from gimmicks to goofy to the sexy to horrifying to just more of what you love. And I guess that kind of brings me to the end here of just saying you don't need to pay $70 for Doom 2020. You can buy a copy or acquire a copy of Doom 2 or Ultimate Doom and have so many mods available to you that you will die before you get to play them all. I promise you this. (laughs) That's not a threat. It's a promise. So on that note... Thank you for listening to CFRU. Thank you for listening to Android's Dungeon. You can check us out on Twitter at Droid Dungeon Radio. Uh, you can shoot us an email at droiddungeonradio at CFRU uh, or at gmail.com, I think. I've got to look it up. Or, uh, or just, you know, shout at me if you see me crossing the road. On that note, have a great day. Stay safe.